You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from House for All Sinners and Saints. We are an Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregation in Denver, Colorado, and you can find out more about us at www.houseforall.org. Grace. Woo! So much grace. (laughs) Peace and mercy is yours from the triune God. Amen. Those of us who were raised in certain Christian traditions were taught that there was only one sin that was unforgivable, and that was blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Apparently, you could speak poorly of the Father and the Son till the cows come home, but the Holy Spirit's like the super sensitive member of the Trinity. You could murder your grandmother and torture kittens and God would forgive you, but say, the Holy Spirit is not real and you are on your own. Saying those six words in that order was like our version of the Cruciatus curse. (laughs) Unforgivable. Which now makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, but I totally bought it as a kid. So upon further inspection... I now suspect that saying six words in a certain order is not a sin at all, much less an unforgivable one. But let's put a pin in that for a moment and talk about this week. It's been a rough few days. Like many of you, I find myself reeling from the news of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain's suicides this week, along with Scott Hutchinson's a few weeks ago. So many of us have lost friends and family to suicide. And the wound of that, or perhaps the wounds we carry from when we ourselves felt close to that same edge, throbs again during a week like this. And it's so hard to make any sense of it. When my friend PJ died by suicide, everyone who knew him tried to make sense of it. We talked about his mental state uh, the months before and what may have contributed to his death. We recalled phone calls and conversations and events trying to piece together a narrative that would cohere to logic. But we couldn't make the math work because he was so loved and had so many friends and had just gotten his PhD and was so funny and so likable. And try as I might, I I could not crawl into my friend's interior world like some sort of investigative reporter of the soul and find the truth. But that's what we do. We try and try to know the truth about suicide, and we never can, not really. And I have no answers here, but I know that the church has tended to get this one wrong for a very long time adding pain to what is already more than we can handle and doing it in God's name. That or we just never speak of suicide at all. But this week it's everywhere, and I too do not know what to say, but I just couldn't bear to say nothing. So all week long I kept looking at our gospel story about Jesus, saying that blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin and wondering what in the world to say. And sometimes when I get confused about what to say about a gospel text, I just look for context. I read around it. 
And I notice that the first part of our reading for today starts with Mark chapter 3, verses 19b. And he went home. So, of course, I wondered, what's 19a say? (laughs) 19a reads, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Our gospel reading on this week, a week when so many of us are are reeling and re-traumatized by the issue of suicide, our text starts with 19b. And 19a is the name of the one person in the gospels that ended their own life. So what does Judas have to do with the unforgivable sin? Was his betrayal of his teacher unforgivable? I can't imagine that's true. And I've written about this elsewhere, but when it comes down to it, why is it that Judas, who betrayed Jesus one time, is unforgivable, and Peter, who denied him three times the same day, is the rock on whom the church is built? The only difference I see is that Judas died before the story unfolded. There was no Easter for Judas. He died before seeing that death was done for. John's gospel tells us that the devil put it into Judas's heart to betray Jesus. And I just don't think that the devil stopped there. He kept lying to Judas, convincing him that he was beyond God's love or anyone else's for that matter, convincing him that his death had more value than his life. I know the anthropomorphized image of the devil with like a red tail and pitchfork feels like spiritual fairy tales. And Lord knows the devil made me do it has been used as a scapegoat since the day the serpent lied to Adam and Eve. So if you can't get on board with the devil as an actual being, I get it. Just think of it, the devil as just evil, as any force that seeks to defy God, that seeks to eclipse love. After all, just moments ago, you stood here and you said at Gus's baptism that you renounced the devil and all his empty promises. Well, there's another name for empty promises, and that is downright lies. Judas was lied to, and he believed the lie. And before the truth was raised from the dead, he didn't experience forgiveness, not because he was beyond forgiveness, but because he was deceived into thinking it could never be his. I don't know what thoughts are on a loop in the minds of those who end their lives. I cannot say what the words are. But I can say that whatever those words are, the thing those words form are lies half-truths at best, but lies and half-truths have always been the way the great deceiver imprisons us. But Jesus of Nazareth was a chain-breaking man. Our Lord went about healing the sick and setting the prisoners free. Everything he saw that caused harm to human beings, he put in its place. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of Mark would be an amazing video game, I realized this week. Uh, go home and read the first three chapters, imagining Jesus blowing up everything that harms us. Because it was like Jesus had infrared goggles on, and he saw what our own eyes couldn't. He saw every dark force that harmed people, and he meant to overpower it. 
From the first day of his work on earth, he took a spiritual machete to the tangled mess of lies and sickness and systems that harmed people, to the forces of evil and the systems of domination and the powers and principalities in this world that sought to destroy the well-being of God's children. He was on a campaign from day one. He knew a lie when he saw it, when he heard it, when he felt it. And lies are what he never had time for. Jesus never backed down from a fight with our demons or legalistic religion or alienating social structures. I don't know if the people around him could name the powers and principalities they were caught up in that eclipsed the light of God, but Jesus saw it all. He couldn't not see it. That's why he said, you can drop your nets. You're not your job. You can leave your mother. You're not what your family system has designated you to be. You can listen to people other than priests. Your God is bigger than that. You can be whole even if you're sick. Your diagnosis is not your destiny. You can have the thing that lies to you shut up because even demons fear his mercy. You can have a seat at the table even if no one else thinks you deserve it. You can do good things even when religion doesn't approve of it. I think Jesus would see the things that lie to us now for what they are. He would be able to name the powers and principalities that cause a situation where suicide has been increased 20% in 20 years. He'd be able to name it. It's not that six words when said in a certain order create a sin that God refuses to forgive. It's that the powers and principalities in our world, like mental illness and white supremacy and abusive families and an entire culture that's based on individualism, a culture in which we have to earn our worth and we have to prove our value, and even the most loved and successful around us, even those who seemingly have won the unwinnable game, feel so terribly alone and without hope. It's that all of that shit creates lies in our heads. Lies that tell you you're alone, that you don't belong, and tell you everyone who loves you will be better off if you're gone, and that there's nothing in you that can be redeemed. When God's children are tied up in a system of powers and principalities that put lies in their heads, lies that tell them that they are too far gone, that they are not lovable and not forgivable, that's what Jesus is talking about. Not six words said in a certain order. He was talking about the effect of lies and empty promises. So people of God, there is no darkness God will not enter to find you. All those parables Jesus tells of, the lost coin, the lost sheep, that's you. God can find what is lost, redeem what is foul, love what is busted up. Anything else in your head is a damn lie. And I renounce it. You are not the horrible thing your mother used to say to you. You are not the number on your paycheck. If you cannot believe it, let me believe it for you. Because you are God's lost coin. And she will look everywhere to find you. Because the God that raised Jesus from the dead raises us too. And there is a balm in Gilead to make the wounded whole. So please stay with us. Because soon I might need you to believe it for me when I cannot. 
Sometimes I end with a prayer, but I asked Riley to do it for me tonight. 